mic's going crazy. I'm just going to pray, and then we'll get into it, okay? All right. Lord, thank you for uh, a ble- blessing that it is to be here and to worship you. We thank you for giving us the opportunity to be here in a space, in a country that allows us to talk about you freely. And I pray that's what we do. I pray uh, that today I do not get in the way, help me not get in the way of what you want to teach us through this uh, passage of scripture. Focus our hearts, focus our minds on you. And I pray that we leave today uh, ready to take our next step of faithfulness in what you have us do. In your precious name, amen. Well, uh, when I was in kindergarten, well, it was the year after I was in kindergarten, it was in a thing called pre-first, which was like, at at the school I was in, it was like getting held back, kind of. So I was held back from kindergarten, and I was in this class, okay? And I don't know what project we were doing, but it involved rulers. And uh, I was sitting across the table from my buddy Hayden, who was my best friend growing up, and the teacher was going around passing out rulers. And she got to him, she gave him this uh, red ruler that was like this bendable plastic, such a cool ruler, and, uh, and he got it, and he was like playing with it, and I was like, man, I hope I get that same ruler. And she gets to me, and she hands me a wooden ruler, which is like lame. And, and so I'm bummed, and uh, I look at Hayden, and he says something to me, which is important for this story. I may never forget it. He looks at me, and he goes, hey, Addison. I bet you that my ruler bends more than your ruler. <laughs> and, and you may be here, okay, you may be sitting here thinking, well, of course, Addison, uh, his ruler is made of bendable plastic, and yours is wood. However, I might remind you, I was held back in kindergarten. Uh, and, and so... Uh, so I told him, no, 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 my ruler bends just as much as your ruler. And thus began the great uh, ruler bending competition of 2003. Uh, and so he like really easily just kind of bends his in like a circle, and he's just like looking at me. I'm like, punk. And so I get my ruler and I start bending it. <laughs> I get like, I mean, I'm bending it barely, and I'm struggling one because I'm so tiny. Uh, and, and then I'm like, I got to get this, uh, I got to give it a little more oomph, you know? And so I'm looking at him, and I just go, and I snap it in half. And as soon as I snap it in half, you know, I got half a ruler in each hand, and I look over my shoulder immediately to my teacher. And uh, my teacher was giving me a look that, unfortunately, uh, I've seen many times in my life, which was a look of, like, why? Why would you do such a thing? Uh, And so I get in trouble. I have to go uh, sign the reminder mark uh, sheet, which was just like a uh, kindergartner's way of getting in trouble, I guess, which now you look back and you're like, it's, you just sign it and then you're done. But uh, my parents had to find out that night I had to go to a store and buy a replacement ruler and I had to walk to school the next day like a, hey I had to walk the next school day like an idiot, you know, with my head down with a ruler and go give it to my teacher and say, I'm sorry. Uh, and, and so this happens, but here's why I tell you the story, okay? It's because what happened there is what we're going to talk about today. I was put in a circumstance, I was put in a situation with a wooden ruler, 
But unfortunately, what happened was I brought my own baggage, my own pride, my own desire for that situation to be different, to have a plastic ruler. And what ended up happening was I broke it. Things did not go as planned. I wanted the situation to be whatever I wanted the situation to be. And I did not look at the circumstances. I was not faithful to the circumstances I was in. And when that happened, I broke the ruler and I got in trouble. And that's what we're talking about today. We're going to be in Genesis 42. And so if you have your Bible, open it up to Genesis 42. We're going to be bouncing around a lot in there. Uh, But we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, It's going to be, I'm going to actually summarize kind of chapter 42 in a second. And then we're going to do almost three case studies on people or groups of people that responded to different circumstances or situations in this chapter. And, and ultimately, hopefully, we're going to leave here learning that there's one way that we are to respond to any circumstance. There's one way that God wants us to respond. And we'll talk about that. But first, uh, last week, we kind of took a break, okay, in the life of Joseph, which is what we've been in. And we also moved into a building And so things have been crazy. I'm going to kind of give you, uh, catch you up, I guess, to where we are in the story today. Uh, And so as you're turning to Genesis 42, it all started in Genesis 37. That's when the life of Joseph began. And and a lot of y'all know this part where he comes and he has the dreams that his brothers are going to be bowing down to him. And he tells his brother this. Uh, Unfortunately, it does not go well for him when he says this. And his brothers become jealous. They uh, first decide to kill him, then they kind of back off that idea. They throw him in a ditch, and they sell him off into slavery. And that's kind of the last part we hear about him and his family uh, until today. But then, after that, it focuses on Joseph. And uh, Joseph, then, is in uh, slavery to this guy named Potiphar. And quickly, he rises to the top. He's the best at what he's doing. And, And so Potiphar loves him. He's like second in command to Potiphar. But Potiphar's wife makes false claims against him. And he ends up in jail, unrightfully, in jail. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, how do you deal with that? But he deals with it faithfully, and he's serving the people around him in jail. And quickly, he becomes like, which is a weird phrase, but he's like the favorite in jail. And the guards are like trusting him. You're like, what are the guards doing? But they're trusting this guy to like watch over the other people and all this stuff. And and then eventually, by the grace of God, Joseph is given an opportunity to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And he does that. And and the dream he interprets essentially says that there's going to be seven years of plenty. And then there's going to be seven years of famine and drought. And because they have that information... Uh, in those seven years of plenty, they save up their grain, they save up their resources, so that when the seven years of drought comes, they're basically the only place around that has any food. And that's where we're picking up today. That's where 42 comes in. And so, uh, like I said, I'm kind of going to give you a quick synopsis of chapter 42. And so, the beginning of 42 starts with Jacob, the father, sending his, 12, or sending his brothers, minus Benjamin, which is important, to Egypt to get this grain, to get this food, to bring it back, because they don't have anything to eat. And, and so he does that, they send him, and lo and behold, finally, which we're kind of anticipating since 37, they run in to Joseph. Except Joseph disguises himself. 
he doesn't want his brothers to know it's him. And the brothers at this point think he's alive, but they don't really know. They, he might be dead. Uh, and, and so he disguises himself, and he starts to test his brothers. He throws them in jail for three days. He calls them spies. He, uh, all of these things. He tests them for a little bit. It's actually the beginning of a section where he really tests his brothers. We'll talk about that next week. But uh, they come out of jail, and J- Joseph gives them the grain and sends them home but he actually puts money in their bags of grain. And they send, they send him home, and the brothers realize uh, that there's money in the grain. They start, they start freaking out. Oh my gosh, why do we have this money? They're going to think we're stealing. They're going to think that we, we, you know, we're going to get thrown in jail again, and all this thing. And then they get home, and they kind of give a report to Jacob, their father, about what happened. And Jacob does not handle it well. Uh, he says in, in 36, he says that... Uh, all of the kids are, are screaming again, and last week I was down there, and so it was kind of karma, okay? Uh, <laughs> and so in 36, Jacob, uh, they kind of give a report, and he responds poorly. He goes, man, uh, Benjamin, uh, you want Benjamin now? Joseph is already dead because he thinks he's dead. And then uh, they had to leave Simeon in Egypt. Uh, Joseph said, you have to leave a brother in Egypt so that when you come back, Benjamin will come back with you. Which is funny to me. I'm like, how did they, I wonder how they decided which brother to leave behind. That's like, <laughs> kind of want to be in the room when they had that conversation. But uh, they leave Simeon behind. And, and so they're telling Joseph this. And he's like, oh my gosh. Joseph's gone, you want Benjamin, and Simeon's gone. All of this is against me. And that's kind of the end of 42. And so what we're going to do in a second is we're going to dive in to three case studies, and the first one's going to be the brothers. And we're going to look at the brothers, the situation that they were in, how they responded to it, and then we're going to take away what we can uh, and learn from them. And so to really put ourselves in the shoes of the brothers in this story, there's a few things we really have to focus on, okay? And the first is verse 1. So turn there with me. Verse 1 says this. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? Okay. That verse, if you take it at face value doesn't make any sense, right? <laughs> You're like, what do you mean, why are they looking at each other? And then he just kind of moves on. It's real easy to skip over that, but it's important. It's important because as soon as he brings up Egypt and that they might have to go there, the brothers start to get worried. And why are they getting worried? Well, let me tell you, they're getting worried because they're carrying around this shame and this guilt. And anytime anything happens that there's a possibility that their sin might get found out, they start to get anxious. They start to get nervous. Their heartbeat starts going up. They start looking at each other. And it happens again in verse 21. And so turn to verse 21. At this point, they just came out of the jail for three days. And and they're talking to each other. And it says in verse 21, they said to one one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us, and we did not listen. And that is why this distress has come upon us. They are living in this kind of karma worldview. They're going, oh yeah, of course we were thrown in jail. Of course this is happening to us because we are so mean to our brother. 
And so anytime something bad happens, anytime something gets hard, they go, oh yeah, of course, because look what we did. And that's their mindset. They're living in a karma worldview because of the sin that they're carrying around. And then lastly in 28, uh, this is when Joseph sends them back home and they have the money in in their sack and they they find it. And, And he says this in 28, he said to his brothers, my money has been put back. I just got to switch stances every now and then. All right. He said to his brothers, my money has been put back in my sack. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. And at this, their hearts failed them. And they turned trembling to one another saying, what is this that God has done to us? Uh, I can promise y'all one thing, okay? If y'all go home or you go to lunch afterwards, and uh, should I just switch to the handheld? Yes? Go. All right. Hey, I'm not going to get thrown off. All right. So, in 28, they say this. They open up the money and they re- or they open up they sa- their sacks and they realize there's money in it and they say, "What is this that God has done to us?" It says their hearts failed them. So, here's what I'll tell you, okay? If you go to lunch today and you pull out your wallet to pay for the meal and all of a sudden there's $500 in your wallet, I guarantee you you're not going to be sad about that. But here in 28, they are. And it's because their hidden sin has made them so paranoid that any time something like this happens, they go, well, of course, it's a bad thing. They're going to think I'm stealing. They're going to think I took this. We're going to get thrown in jail. And it's all because we did this to our brother so many years ago. It's a karma mindset, but their hidden sin is hindering them from living for Christ. Their hidden sin is hindering them, hear this, from freedom. And so that's the thing we're going to learn from the brothers. The first thing we learn is that hidden sin will keep us from fully following and living for Jesus. Hidden sin will keep us from fully following and living for Jesus. Five, six, James 5.16 says this, says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. Healing starts with confession. It does. And here's what I'll tell you. If, if that's you, and as soon as I started talking about hidden sin, and I brought it up, and your heartbeat started to get a little bit quicker, because you know you have that thing that you've not told anybody. Your wife doesn't know. Your kids don't know. No one in the world knows. Your parents don't know. You've been carrying it around, hiding it behind your back. This is the only thing. Like, you could tune out for the rest of the message and only hear this. It will be the best thing you do in your life is to confess that sin today. Uh, After this message, there will be a group of people up here, and and come up here, confess your sin to one another. I know that feeling. In in fifth grade, I was introduced to pornography by a friend. 
And I became addicted to that. I carried that sin uh, with me my whole entire middle school life and half of my high school life. And it made me anxious. It made me paranoid, just like the brothers, just like some of you today. Anytime somebody wanted my phone, anytime somebody uh, dug into my life, I wanted to push them away because I was afraid that they were going to know what I was hiding. And I know that there are some of you out there right now that have that same feeling. And the best thing you could do is to confess your sins. It took me until God changed my life on a mission trip. And the next week I got invited to a small group of guys that I went to school with, but I did not really know. And that night, I saw them update each other and confess their sins that past week to one another. And they held each other accountable to living for Christ and what he has done for us and remembering that. And the Holy Spirit convicted me that day, and I confessed. And here's what I tell, I'll tell you if that's you. What's around the corner after confession is love, compassion, but freedom. And you'll still have to deal with the consequences. But I promise you, you will be the most free you'll ever be. I once sat in a, a room with a guy who a month before confessed to a gambling addiction that was so severe that he was taking money from the company he worked for, which his best friend owned. He was the accountant there, and he was gambling it away. He lost millions of dollars for this company, and it was a year, years of struggle of that. And uh, the month before, he confessed his sin. His wife almost divorced him. His kids got mad at him, and he lost his job. And he sat there, looked me in the eye, and he told me that confessing that sin was the best thing he's ever done in his life. And he has never been as free as he was. Hidden sin will keep you and keep us from fully following and living for Christ. The second person that we're going to do a case study of is Jacob. Uh, Jacob uh, is, he's in the beginning, we talked about that, he's sending his brothers out, or he's sending his sons out, but what we're going to focus on is at the end. Uh, and so to really understand Jacob, we kind of have to go back before Genesis 37, and so starting in Genesis 12, the narrative of the Bible focuses on these patriarchs, these like old guys is what I tell my students. And it starts with Abraham, and then it focuses on Isaac for a brief period of time, and then Jacob, then Joseph, which is what we're in now. Before Joseph, the narrative goes through Jacob. And, and Jacob, we see, uh, comes out of the womb being this deceitful guy to the point where, if you're reading it at face value, you go, why did God choose Jacob, not Esau, to have this line of Jesus through but he focuses on Jacob, and we see Jacob go through these trials and tribulations, and, and ultimately God, uh, well, they wrestle, which is a fun fact, it's the only sport in the Bible, is wrestling. Jacob wrestles with God, and uh, ultimately he becomes the man of God that he was supposed to be, and God blesses him. And, and then we, we kind of hear a little bit about him here and there in this uh, Life of Joseph story, but here, it's almost a response that should throw us off. The brothers come back, they give a report, Simeon's there, and they want Benjamin, and we have money in our sacks with the grain. 
And his response in 36, don't miss this. Go to verse 36. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin. And this is the part we want to focus on. All of this has come against me. I mean, we should read that and be like, dude, it's not about you. All of this has come against me. It's not all of this has come against, it's not all of this has come against God, or I wonder what God's up to, or, you know, in, in Genesis 50, it says that all of these things that uh, you meant for evil, God meant for good. It's not that response. It's all of this has come against me. And we should be like, what happened to Jacob? Why is this response the way it is? He was the man that God wanted him to be. And if he was now, he wouldn't respond in that way. He wouldn't. And so the only conclusion we can come is that at some point, Jacob slowly, or maybe this was the point, slowly started to make his life more about him, and he started thinking more about him and his own comforts and his need to have his kids and how woe is him because uh, Joseph's no more and Simeon's no more. He started to make his life about him and not about God. And so here's what we pick up from Jacob, is that long obedience in the same direction, following God, is impossible without a daily reliance on Christ. We need to remind ourselves daily of who God is and what he's done for us. We need to remind ourselves of who we are and who God is and what he's done for us. We have to remember and live in a response to the gospel. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to address, there's two different types of people in this room. And I want to address both of them. The first is this, is the person who relates to Jacob. Maybe, you know, a year ago, a month ago, five, ten years ago, you were in a place where uh, you were walking with God. You felt close with God. Things were going well, or they weren't, but you still felt close to God. But all of a sudden, you looked up, and you don't know what's happened. You're falling back into the same sins. You're not surrounded by people who love Jesus. Your marriage is getting harder and harder. You're finding yourself getting angrier and angrier, whatever it is. You're not the same as you were. And, and here's what I want to tell you if you're that person, is that there's hope. There will always be hope, and God's hand is always extended for you and for us. We can come back to him. He's always there, and he is always faithful. And ultimately, the solution is the same as the second person, which is the second person who right now in this room is at the peak. They're walking with God. They feel close with God. Things are going well. They're doing good, whatever that means. They feel surrounded by God's presence. If you're that person and I read this story about Jacob, it should give you chills. Because the reality is, you could be next. You could be the next Jacob, who all of a sudden you look up and you don't feel close to God. You're not walking with God. The solution to both of those things is the same thing. It's to take the next step of faithfulness, whatever that is. 
That's what we do. And, and to order to do that, we have to ask ourselves, hey, what is our next step of faithfulness? And when we do that and we walk into situations with our palms up, ready to do whatever God has for us, ready to be faithful to his will, whatever that is, we will continue to walk with Christ. We need to be faithful to God. That's the solution. And here's the thing, and this is kind of a tangent, but I think it's worth being said, is that the reality is I think that if God were to come back, he would be embarrassed by our expectations of what he can do. I think that we walk around thinking about ourselves so much, myself included, just like Jacob, that we lose track of the power of God. The reality is that the same God that split the Red Sea, the same God that made a donkey talk, and the same God that raised Lazarus from the dead is the same God, if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you, that is in you. It's the same God. And I think if we realized that and we were expectant of what he could do, we'd be shocked about what he could do. I'm telling you, if we all left here and started living for Christ, your families would be different, our schools would be different, uh, Cody would be different, I think Wyoming would be different. What if, just bear with me, what if Wyoming, who has been in the top three of suicide rates in a, for a long time, 50 plus years, what if we went from number one to just 25, which still isn't that good? I'll tell you what would happen, is that Yale, Harvard, Princeton would be sending people here to come figure out what the heck happened. And what if when they got here, they look at us, they say, hey, what happened? Why is this happening? And the answer was, we're living for Christ and we're being faithful to him. And that can happen. The reality is, I'm telling you this, and some of us don't think it can happen. But it's the same God that's in you that split the Red Sea. It's the same God that's in you that raised Lazarus from the dead. That story I just told is nothing. God can do it. So let's be about his word. But here's the thing. That's not going to happen unless we take one step of faithfulness at a time. So what's our next step of faithfulness? Luckily, uh, the next case study gives us a good example of what it looks like to make that next step of faithfulness. And it's Joseph. And so Joseph, uh, to really understand his role in this story, there we go, uh, we have to understand two things, okay? The first is this, is at the beginning, if you read this, you could be misunderstood that he's being mean to his brothers. He speaks harshly to them, it says. He disguises himself, he throws them in jail. He's not being mean to his brothers. He's testing them. And we know this because, this is the second thing, he loves his brothers. He gives them money on the, on the way back. And, and that's a little bit of a test, but it also in verse uh, 25, it says, not 25, I don't know where it is, but uh, <laughs> in verse whatever, it says that he gives this as a provision for them on their way home. It's not explicitly said that it's a test. It's a provision. He loves his brothers. He weeps when he overhears them saying uh, what they say about how they deserve all of this. He weeps after that, and then he gives them the money. He loves his brothers. 
And we should also read this, realize, I, I read this this week, uh, and realize there's like not a better revenge story setup than this. I mean, brothers hate him. He has a dream. They kick him off to the curb, almost kill him. They sell him into slavery. And since that happens, we really should be on the edge of our seat. Oh, I wonder what's going to happen when they see Joseph again. And then in verse 9 of 42, it happens, and his brothers are kneeling in front of him. And he says that it says in uh, verse 9 that he remembers his dreams when his brothers are kneeling in front of him. The prophecy fulfilled. And wouldn't you, if you were in Joseph's shoes, want to take off your disguise, be like, hey, it's me. You're so powerful. He's so powerful, he can do whatever he wants to them. He could get sweet, sweet revenge. But he does not. And he doesn't because he's God's man. He just went through trials and tribulations, being in jail, being number two in Egypt, being number two in Potiphar's house, being thrown in jail. And now he's faithful to God. And so when that happens, he tests his brothers, one, to probably figure out if Benjamin's still alive, but two, to figure out the character of the brothers and to ultimately develop the character of the brothers, which is what Greg will talk about next week. But he is faithful to God. He does not take that situation like I did with the ruler. He does not take the situation that he was given and do whatever he wants with it. He does what God wants him to do with it. Do you do that? Here's what we can take away from Joseph, is that walking with God will increase our trust in God. The longer Joseph walked with God, the more tests uh, and trials he went through, the more he trusted God, that God's plan was better than his plan. And because he knew that truth, he knew the character of God, when his brothers are kneeling in front of him, they're in jail, he has custody, he can do anything he wants to them, he sends them home with a bag of money. Because he knows God's plan is better. Do you know and believe that God's plan is better than your plan? The longer we walk with God, the more we'll trust God. Uh, this is why I love this idea of prayer journals. And, and so uh, I'm going to throw out an idea. You don't have to do it. But keep prayer journals and make a list of what you pray for and date it. I found a month ago an old prayer journal of when I was a junior in uh, high school. And I, I opened up the second page, <laughs> and here, here's what I prayed for. I prayed for more money, uh, a cool car, and a girlfriend. Uh, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure God cared not a lot about any of those things. <laughs> uh, but here's what's cool about that, is I turned towards the end of that, which was like a year and a half later, and I prayed for my friend Hayden English to know God, because I knew if he started to know God and live for God, that everybody around him and around us and in our schools would start to see the power of God. That's a difference, and that difference happened because I walked with God for a period of time. As we walk with Christ, our trust in Christ will increase, but ultimately our wants are going to be more like God's wants. It's sanctification. So let's walk with Christ, trusting him, trusting that his plan is better. Uh, and so uh, as I kind of close, I want to remember a few things, okay? So the first is this. 
and, and I, I should have put this last almost, because I think it's the most important thing if you're that person. If you have hidden sin, if you're carrying around that baggage, I promise you, the best thing you can do today is to confess that sin. Be free. I mean, if that's you, you are living a miserable life, to be honest. I've been there. It's miserable to always be defending yourself, always be hiding, always be paranoid. There's freedom around the corner. Choose freedom. Second thing, we need to remind ourselves daily of the gospel. Don't forget what God has done for us. We need to live in a response. The reality is, I mean, listen to this. The reality is, if the gospel is true, we were dead in our trespasses, which means we could not do anything. That's what dead means. Literally could not do anything. We were helpless. And it was our own fault because we sinned. If that's true, but yet... Christ came down, lived a perfect life, died on the cross. Whoever believes in him, Romans 10, 9 through 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not if you live a good life. It's not if you uh, have success in your job, whatever that means. It's not if you go to church every Sunday. You can go to church every Sunday and not go to heaven. Do you all realize that? It's not about our works. It's about believing in Christ. That's what Romans 10, 9 through 10 says. If that's true and God raised from the dead three days later, if we believe that, we will have eternal life. We can walk with him starting today. It's not starting when we die. Starting today, we can walk with him. We have the Holy Spirit in us. If that's true, we should only have one response if we really believe that, which is, Lord, everything I have is yours. That's the only logical response. And so we have to remind ourselves of that truth. We need to remember the gospel. Remember what Christ has done for you. What ways are you remembering what God has done for you? And then when we do that, we need to take the next step of faithfulness. Don't think about the seventh next step of faithfulness. What's your next step today of faithfulness? What can you, how can you be faithful to God today? In fact, when we get in, when you get in your cars, I'm going to make it awkward because I I like doing this. When you get in your cars, uh, if you're a family, ask yourselves, have a conversation as a family. Hey, what does it look like for us to be faithful today? What is our next step of faithfulness? And if you don't know, pray about it. What's your next step of faithfulness? The last thing we have to remind ourselves is that we need to walk with God daily. There's a difference between walking with God and what I call sitting with God. Sitting with God is when, you know, you feel good about yourself because you're reading the Bible every day, but you sit down for five minutes and read, and then you go about your life thinking about yourself all the time. You just checked a box. That's sitting with God. You're not walking with God. But we need to walk with God and be faithful to him. What does your prayer life look like? Why do you read the Bible? Those are questions we should ask ourselves. As we walk with God, we'll increase our trust with God. So let's do it. Uh, We need to go throughout our life with a mentality of a palms-up mentality, not a clenched fist. Here's what I mean by that. 
clinch fist mentality is I'm going to do what I want to do no matter what. And I know, Wyoming people, that you like to do whatever you like to do. But what would it look like if you walked through your life saying, God, whatever you want me to do, I will be faithful to that. It's a better way to live. And so uh, before I conclude and, and pray, I want to give a few examples of people that I've seen uh, in this body today that have done this and are different because of it. And the first is, we talked about it earlier, the outpost stories. Go read those, please. They're so encouraging. You'll hear stories of people and of God working through people that you wouldn't even believe. Jake Scott, who's walking up right now, he's an example of one. Read his story. Uh, some other people I've seen this in is the Trotters. The Trotters, uh, if you don't know their story, it's amazing. Their son, Drew, who's now uh, in Butte, Montana, playing football, comes to a youth group. And, and through that, his eyes are opened, and he starts to invite his family. His dad came. The first time I actually came to Cody was the first time Sean came to church, and I got to talk to him a little bit. And slowly, their family comes, and, and I'm telling you, I've heard it from other people. If you knew them a year and a half ago, two years ago, they seem like different people. And it's because they're walking with God, and God's done a work in their life. Matt Scott, who's, I don't think he's here, right? Oh, he is here. Uh, Matt Scott, he doesn't even know this story, but I heard a story this past week where uh, a person he grew up with uh, and has known for a long time, was talking about him. And, and the words that came out of, his, out of her mouth were, something's weird with him. He keeps talking about Jesus. <laughs> it's because he's been walking with God and God's changed his life. It can happen with you too. She said, she, the quote was, uh, you know, now all of a sudden he's like, well, Jesus blessed me with this and God blessed me with this. It's like, yeah, it's cool. Uh, uh, another one, Angie Donald. Angie Donald came, when they started coming, they were shy. They didn't really talk a lot, the Donalds. And now, every single time Angie serves in kids' ministry, every other week, every time we circle up at 8.30 out there, she's one of the first people who's sharing what God's done in her life with boldness. She's walking with God. It's increasing her trust with God. And now she's bold and courageous. And the last one, I don't have this one written, but Emily Rowley. Emily Rowley, how, on a scale of 1 to 10, how excited were you to join community and share all of your sins? Zero. <laughs> but God has done a work in her life to where she's in my community group, and she's coming, and she's the one that's living authentically now. She's the one that's leading the charge and admonishing faithfully. She's living out the core values, and it's because what God has done in her life. It's not because of what Outpost is doing. It's not because of our structure of community. It's because of what God has done in her life through the Holy Spirit. Because she has the Holy Spirit in her, she believes in Christ. You can have that same power in you today. And so uh, in a second, I'll, I'll pray. They'll sing a song. There's going to be a group of people. Hey, if you need to confess your sin, come up here. I promise you, it'll be compassion and love and freedom around the corner. But apart from that, let's leave today on fire to take our next step of faithfulness because I'm telling you that you would be shocked what God can do in a year by just taking a step of faithfulness at a time. Lord, 
Thank you so much for this place. Thank you for this people. I pray that we leave, to he- we leave here ready to obey you, not to obey man, not to obey our friends, not to fold under the pressure uh, that, uh, of people's expectations for us, but that we are solely listening to you and will solely obey you. I pray that we remember your power. Remember what you've done for us. And I pray that Cody is different because of your church. I pray for CMA. I pray for hope. I pray for uh, all the churches in this area that today your spirit moves and that you are glorified, not us. Lord, we thank you. What a privilege it is to be here. In your precious name, amen. Amen.